Before we get into this episode, I want to thank our sponsors. We just keep adding to the list, and I'm so honored and humbled by that. I appreciate people's support. I want to start off with our local folks here in the Houston area, uh, Conroe, Texas. Uh, The name of the company is Summer Moon Coffee, and friends of our family has started this coffee shop. And I want to thank Wyatt and his team for taking care of uh, the community and for serving and just providing great product, great atmosphere, Summer Moon Coffee and Conroe. Also, a good friend of mine, uh, veteran, U.S. uh, Army veteran and man of faith, uh, Randy LaVere in Indiana, who started a company called Armored Nation Coffee, and he has provided us with opportunities for savings. If you type in last in line, when you go to his website, armoredcoffee.com, you'll get a 25% discount on the greatest coffee to date that I've seen and tasted from the great state of Indiana. Let's put it that way. Uh, It's very good. Very good, and and he's a great guy, and the the mission he has is to take the gospel to the marketplace. So thank you, Armored Nation Coffee. Also, Do Work That Matters is a fairly new sponsor, a young man who is out showing appreciation with an apparel line that he's created for first responders, people in the community that serve, give back, and do work that matters. He's created a clothing line. He's been gracious with giving us some of his merchandise, and uh, it's great stuff. Love the logo. So thank you for, to do work that matters. Most recently, uh, we've added uh, the Cowboy Revolution Apparel Company, and I came across him on Instagram and just reached out, and we connected, and he was nice enough to send us some things, and uh, love the logo, love his brand and uh, cowboy revolution apparel is our newest sponsor so i say go check them out on instagram and uh, go to their website and uh, cowboyrevolutionapparel.com and get some of their stuff it's awesome worthy mission and kevin fulton and i want to just thank him for reaching out and supporting last in line podcast with a t-shirt they've got a really cool logo a cool instagram uh, page. They've got a website uh, that says they lead like lions is a Christian lifestyle brand to help men become stronger physically, mentally, and most important, spiritually to lead their families as God has created them to do. So I want to thank Lead Like Lions. Uh, last but not least, Gridiron Coffee. And thank you to Brad for connecting with me on Inst- uh, Instagram and just offering to support our cause here at Last in Line. Brad uh, has a amazing business that he's started, uh, great coffee, great product. And as you guys know, my blood type is dark roast, and he's speaking my language, sent me some coffee, sent me a shirt, and he's all about the gridiron, the football field, and athletes, and uh, that's right up our alley here too. So I want to thank Brad for all the great work he's doing. Go to his website and order some coffee, sponsor. Um, some efforts to provide a scholarship for a deserving athlete uh, that Brad is behind doing, uh, raising money for that scholarship. So go on his website, find out how you can give to that cause. Thanks again, Gridiron Coffee. Hey, I just want to welcome you guys to another episode of our series called Coaching Up. And we've got a great guest today. Uh, Got a guy who has made a career now of making shift happen. His name is Anthony Trucks. Uh, He's a former foster child, as he says, 
uh, in his bio. And like I said, NFL football player, uh, competitor on the American Ninja Warrior. He's an author. He is what's called a shift coach and entrepreneur. You know, he says that he goes from, he went from foster care to the NFL to successful business owner. And he has accomplished what statistics would say is impossible. He's a speaker and an identity shift coach. Like I mentioned, Anthony teaches people how to access the power of their identity and to tap into their full potential. And like I said before, make shift happen. Please welcome to the stage, Anthony Trucks to Last in Line Podcast. Man, Anthony Trucks, I can't b- tell you how honored I am. Welcome to Last in Line Podcast, man. Hey, thank you for having me, man. I'm excited to be here hanging out with you a little bit. Yeah, man. Checking out some of your podcasts, looking at some of your resources. And uh, we got a mutual friend that introduced us. And uh, shout out to Dad's Edge, Larry Hagner. Appreciate him yeah. connecting us. And, and I got to say right off the bat, man. You've got the podcast voice. You've got oh, the yeah. radio voice, Works man. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that's a sign. Either early in the morning or late at night, it's good. But then for some reason, when I start to record, I go up here and I talk. I don't know, oh, yeah, you weird. get fired up. Yeah, I do get fired up. But typically, this is like my even keel walking around town. Hey, how you doing? This is my voice. Yeah, no, that's good, man. Got a little, maybe even a little Barry White action going on. Uh, uh, hope my listeners are <laughs> paying attention. Uh, man, I was looking at your cover of your book, uh, and we'll talk more about that later. But uh, it's got you in this uh, pretty intense uh, warrior cry, yell posture. Like, was that genuinely like you were on stage and you were just like yelling? And yeah, that's legit. That, was, that wasn't posed. That was somebody <laughs> just caught a phenomenal action shot. No lie. It's honeysuckle photo, Maggie Kirkland. She's awesome. Like she, uh, yeah, Dude. she grabs weird shots, but there's like three or four, but that was like the, the big one. Yeah. I was, I was, ah, I was doing my thing yeah. at the end of the speech and she caught it. It's like, a, that's there's cool. so much in that. It's my favorite photo, man. It's just so much in the picture. Like there's so much emotion to it. It probably talk. It says a lot about your personality too. You're you're probably yeah. kind of spicy and fired up and passionate, right? About what you bit. do. A little bit. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe not in that manner because there's you know obviously in the way I operate, it's an even kill. But for the most part, whenever I'm rocking and rolling and doing my my thing, yeah, when I'm up on a stage, I get to play it like a ten. It's like when I get to go back to my playing days, we'll call it. It's as close as I get to go doing that. Right. Right. Well, I was gonna say, man, it looked like you just sacked somebody for a loss or tackled somebody for a loss right there and got up and, and got the crowd going. So let's talk a little bit about your your upbringing, a little bit about your background and just kind of <clears throat> we'll transition into what you're doing and and sort of what you're passionate about and how you got there. But man, I, I noticed that you uh, were put into foster care at a, at a really young age, three years old and, um, you know, got into a, a, a good family and, and really started pursuing um, Football, I guess, in high school, would you say? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't playing until I was 14, so right before high school. You, you felt probably, I'm not going to put words in your mouth, but tell us about that kind of growing up in that environment, and, and yeah. you obviously knew something was a little different, right? So talk about kind of how that shaped you and then what got you into football. Yeah, well, you know, football was the thing I always did when I was in school, elementary school, so it was this out in the playground, recess time. It was the fun thing to do, and you know, I was – I was athletic, but I wasn't, you know, honing the skill f- necessary for football and tackle, right? So out there playing around, I could do it. 
So I was always introduced to it there, but never had a chance to play until later. But the, the I guess the upbringing, if you want to call it that, that whole kind of weird world, it creates a grittiness. You know, it creates this this internal drive to just do and be better. Or if it's just a fight, you know, might have been just had this desire just to fight. Now you can fight for good. You can fight for bad and you can actually fight. <laughs> I got in a lot of fights. But uh, but it was it was something where when I was introduced to the opportunity after I was finally adopted to play tackle football for the first time, I did kind of fall in love with it. I got this this I guess it was an itch that was like, man, I, I enjoyed how it felt to be praised when I made great plays. That was something the world hadn't given me much of right outside of the home I was in at times. Like I didn't really get much of the outside world saying, Anthony, good job. You know, so this was a chance for me to go like, get more of that praise I'd been yearning for, I think, all my life. Wow. Yeah. And, and I mean, what an outlet to have, right. To get out and, and kind of go take out a little bit of aggression that maybe you had just from some confusion or, or just not even really knowing what was, you know, why, you know, you're in this situation or what, you know, what's different. And, and, and so you became actually pretty good at football and uh, went to Oregon university of Oregon to play, Um, man. I started watching you, you start talking about your, NFL days, right? And mm-hmm. you said that those were pretty short because Very. of a fluke injury, right? So you went and played. I guess you played for three teams. Is that right? Or you were yep. on three rosters: yeah. Steelers, Bucks, and and, and now I don't even know what we call the Washington team, right? Is it the Washington Commanders? Commanders the Pop Warner name? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you talk. You you were you played at a high level in college, man. Um, yeah. So you get to the pros. And really just a fluke deal, like ended it all I mean, uh, like overnight. It's tough, man. And it's football is you're always in a situation where you can get hurt. And I mean, I could have continued playing, but if I had played, it would have been not the normal situation. I would have had to put a waiver on my shoulder my third year, which would have said that if I got hurt on the same injury again, no one covers it. NFL doesn't cover it. The team doesn't cover it. So it's more of like a gamble. Do I go play? And I'm a linebacker. I use my shoulders all day long, you know? <laughs> so if I'm, if I'm not out there able to do that, is it really a situation that's smartest for my family? And so that was kind of like the choice of, of hanging it up because I, I didn't have the ability to play really at the level necessary to be successful. And so at the yeah, game yeah. of football, you're, you're going to get hurt. There's, I mean, there's almost no way with the, the speed the game is played, the amount of strength behind it, People, you know, jokingly say it's like a car crash. It is every time. Mm-hmm. Every play is like being in a car accident. And and you're so much force in your body just not even touching anybody. If you just, the way you have to, like when you get fast, you're strong, you're moving and cutting the amount of load on your joints in your body in real yeah. fluid motion. Like you mm-hmm. could get hurt. People get hurt, non-contact, tear ACLs all the time. It's not an accident. Like it's just, it's, it's what happens when you do things like that. So yeah, then the game ends and you have to figure out who am I? without this thing that made me me and that that that's the big question you know it's mm-hmm. not just a football question though it's a it's a faith yeah. question it's a military question it's a send my kids off to college question it's a start a business question start a podcast question it's a change a job anytime you wake up and you are no longer doing the thing you spent years doing the question settles in who am i without this thing I may not come through clear like that i may not come through in precision and in, in words in that same manner but the feeling settles in it's like, all right, I got this day. Like, just think about the guys and girls who have these big companies. They exit them. They, they slaved away day after day, building something for years and years and years and years. And then what happens that the company gets sold and they don't have to show up to work the next day. They got the bank account full of money. Right, but right, now, right. But now what? I was reading Shoe Dog 
by Phil Knight. And he didn't obviously sell the company, but he talks about how, you know, they were pretty much going public in the whole process of doing it. And he goes, there was, you know, one day where I went to bed and everything was, you know, the same. And I woke up and everything was the exact same. And it felt odd. He's like, if the same day, same breakfast and everything, but I'm now worth $178 million. Like nothing, you know, it's like not everything changes. So that's, that's a unique thing because there's that moment, but he could still do his thing. He could still show up to work and do it, right. build the business. But when you, when you can't do that thing anymore, you don't know where to put the energy. Yeah. You're, yeah. you're used to giving the energy, but where do you put it now? And I think that's where they say idle hands, the devil's playground, because now you start getting into stuff and doing wrong things. If there's no faith behind it, you just start getting the wrong stuff. For sure. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because you set us up perfectly because I wanted to, you know, as we're talking about this series called Coaching Up, uh, and and really I want to talk about just leaders that you've come across in your life that sort of shaped your leadership, right? You obviously take some things from yourself and who you are and and tweak little things that you notice and want to emulate. Uh, but I just want to know sort of what, in your opinion, is a big thing? And we're going to talk about identity because I know identity is a big, that's like the banner kind of over overarching some of, you know, most of your work is just this yeah. identity shift. And I want to get into that really. I want to peel back the layers on that. But talk to me just in general. What do you feel like shapes our leadership the most as we're coming up in sort of our more formative years, early adulthood? Like, what do you think is a factor that that sort of shapes us in that regard? Uh, it's, I mean, the thing is that we're always being shaped. You really, you have teachers and preachers and coaches and leaders and TV and radio and the news and your friends and the Pokemon card. It's all the outside things that come in. It's It's not that they're all bad. There's that, I love that metaphor of, you know, the boat, you know, we are the boat and, and sometimes there's holes in the boat and the, the world is the ocean and the water outside and, and the water can get in and it can sink the boat, right? You can, you can mm -hmm. falter and fall down. But the reality is that boat is made to be on the ocean. Mm -hmm. You don't take the boat out of the water, right? So mm -hmm. I think there, there are a lot of things that are consistently out there in our world and they're always having some adjustment or effect on, on who we are. And a lot of it happens without us thinking subconsciously about it. It's subconscious. It's happening. We're feeling it. I think that paired with trauma, you know, the things that we experience that are traumatic to us. And I, I wouldn't put trauma into a box and say, this creates trauma and that creates trauma. I would say a trauma is, is your, your relative ability to handle a tough situation. Right. Like this thing happens. How do you handle it? <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so like that, I think ties into where I think it's a matter of we have trauma and we have things that program us. Just think about it, something could happen. And if you've been programmed to like, hey, men don't cry, you know, if you've been programmed yeah. by teachers, preachers, then now that trauma paired with this, what I know to do, it, it creates this person. And then I am ex I'm pretty much doing what I do in the world and expressing myself in a manner that is either helpful or hindering. And, and I, I live my way. But that's I think that's how we're programmed. And so the identity comes to play is, is based on what we see or are taught and also what we experience. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and I'm glad you so the the trauma component I guess can look different for everybody, of course, like you right. said, and it can mean different things and and maybe the dark darkest season and I'm just going to generalize here because I don't know everything about your life, but I'm going to assume that the transition from the NFL to just kind of everyday people, everyday life and not knowing really what you're going to do. You said you went back and and worked in the gym in your hometown and like, yeah. would you consider, like, talk about some of those, were those some low points that you really had to dig in and, and find out what you're about? And, mm -hmm. and what did that, what did those moments kind of show you about yourself really? Yeah. 
I mean, the going home wasn't the dark moment. It, so I did yeah. come home, worked at a 24 hour fitness for uh, a week. <laughs> and I was like, no, nah, I can't do this. I started my own gym. Okay. And I started my own gym. It, that's where I, it's, it was a microcosm of the world. You know, it's like everything condensed down to this simple space. It's, you know, having to deal with people and selling an idea and deal with staff and deal with, you know, happy customers, unhappy customers, systems, mm-hmm. the landlord paying bills. It's just, it's this whole world you're navigating and it was compressed, you know, where most people have to go, you know, their career to figure out and experience all these things. I was the leader of this weird new business and a lot going on. So I got, you know, pretty much, I feel like I got like 30 years condensed down to six of just mm. stuff. And so now I'm experiencing this. And yeah, so in that, uh, it's the kind of the growth piece. There's this great study that came out that shows that, you know, tension, trauma, all those kind of things, it actually releases proteins in your brain that help code more of your genetic code. Mm. And so whenever you experience hardship or difficulty, you actually become more of who you're meant to be, if that makes sense. I guess I get that. Yeah, it makes sense. It's an interesting way of looking at it. So for me, I, I think not only at a... I'll call it a mental, spiritual level that it helped grow me. Because once you have a hardship, you're once you have that pressure, you are forced to either grow. Like change is inevitable, but growth is is optional, right? Yeah. And I, I believe that as things changed situationally, I grew with it as a choice. It wasn't always easy. And in doing so, not only did I mentally grow, but like I think neurologically, physically, like I also grew. Like I I learned how to do things differently and better. I had this conversation with my uh, one of my son's track coaches yesterday. He's in his seventies and he's, you know, out there doing track looks good for 70, you know, and I'm a little over half his age. And he goes, you're one of the most self-aware young men I've, I've ever met in my life based on your age. Mm-hmm. I go, man, I appreciate that. And, and, uh, and somebody asked like, what, how do you think you got that? When I go, you know what? I don't, I don't think there's anything special. I think really what it was, it still ties to your same question is I am good with being critical of myself without being too critical of myself. I think you can be too critical to where you shame yourself, you beat yourself up, you make you, you tell yourself you suck and you eat away at your own you know, ego in a sense. When I played professional football, you always were watching film. Mm-hmm. They film it, you go back, hey, you did this, 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 and this wrong. I didn't think I was a bad player. I was like, all right, I made some mistakes. Let's go back to work. And so for me, what I think is my, my self-awareness is simply like I am, I try to be, and I, I will say I am good at when something goes crazy or something's off, I don't err to the side of making myself look right or feel right. I will mm-hmm. literally step back and go, let's try to be as unbiased as possible. And did you really do that right? Is that the honest way to handle that? Did mm-hmm. you apologize or were you right? And if you are right, is the way you want to prove that you're right, the right way to approach this, you know, like, yeah. so I try to step in and then in doing that, you start learning more about yourself, what's going on. And so I can, po- I can poke myself and point to my areas of weakness and other people go, oh, you're self-aware. Yeah, because I just, I became aware of myself by looking at all parts of me, not just the parts that feel good. Yeah, yeah. And and I'm, I would imagine that that probably comes up a lot in conversation with the work you do now. Like, let's transition. I mean, you're kind of, so you, you're, you're observing as I'm trying to, I'm assessing your journey and the timelines and different things. And I'm kind of, you're trying to get into this coaching arena, right? The mindset, the performance coaching uh, after you, you owned the gym and different things, but you realize you're, did you realize that this coaching was a calling? Did you realize this I, you know, this helping people with their performance, their mindset, just their life and their, the way that they see themselves. Did you real, when did you realize that that might've been your direction? 
It's weird. It's a weird question. It's odd. I don't know if I've ever been asked that question, or maybe I've never heard the question the same way. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to try that too. I'm going I'm to spend some time with later. I on. love, hey, I love asking. I, I, I love being called uh, that I ask weird questions. I love that. No, weird I do the questions same thing. Are good. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a weird question. It's because it's the question was, when did I realize that coaching was a calling? And I'm sure I've been asked the question, but I, I, there's that, I love that statement of you can never step in the same spot in a river twice because river's not the same, nor is the man. Oh, wow. Right. So if I've, if I've read this book, if I read it today and I read it a wow. year from now, I've got different stuff in my brain from when I read it a year ago. I'm going to, I'm going to read it different. Right. So mm-hmm. when you ask the question, I, I, there's a lot that's going on in like the last month for me. So I'm like, I'm hearing that different, it, which I think is good. Yeah. So I think the thing for me with coaching was that I never really stepped in and said, I want to be a coach. There was always this natural draw to me to, to have what I knew in my head come out and create value. I think it ties to foster care because I didn't matter to people when I was a kid. My mom didn't care about me. The people that I was with tortured me and beat me and starved me, these weird things. So I didn't matter. So I found that in the world of what I do, when I go and say words and people go, oh, I appreciate that. I'm like, oh, cool. They like it. I matter to them. Mm-hmm. And that, that shows up most preferably in coaching, right? Someone says, hey, can you help me? Yeah, I'd love to. So now I, I, I give information and people go, thank you. And I get the appreciation and feel like I matter in a way that makes me feel good. They get the benefit that they want based on whatever is floating in my head. And I think it goes. Now we we put the label on it. That's called coaching. So if you want to do that, then yeah, I I don't know when I was called to do it. It's probably at some point when I was a kid, I was called to, to internally desire to do that thing. Yeah. I would say too, as you're talking, it's starting to sort of unravel uh, in a good way and, and and unfold in my mind that when we talk about coaching, like it is about other people. So maybe weren't called quote unquote for coaching, but you were called to make a difference to somebody and to be that difference for in their lives. Because obviously, like you said, you, you had some bumps along the way with people like that in your life. So you wanted to kind of turn around because I read a quote and I'm going to paraphrase. I'll probably butcher it, but I read something on your website that, that said that the aha moment was kind of like when you realized you could be something for someone else, like, yeah. That was into your what you were kind of saying there earlier, uh, but yeah, I think that that's where that shift. And you, you know, I know your books call identity shift, but in my mind, I think, and I think you even say where the shift happened in you was, wow, okay, so maybe it's not about me, but maybe it's about me in other people's life and sort of helping them find that way or uncover yeah. some things within themselves. And, yeah. and talk about, and this is off script because I didn't really plan to talk about this, but. I started thinking about just because off off uh, the recording, we, you know, we were talking about uh, our kids and teenagers and different things. Yeah, what's the identity crisis, if you would even call it that, with young people today? And and if you had this magic formula, like, what are your what are your thoughts or advice to that group of people of young adults that are, you know, it, clearly there's some identity crisis happening. Yeah, well, crisis is just like separation, right? Here's what I want. Yeah. And but what I want or desire is this, and it's not happening. So it's a crisis, right? Or here's the plan that's going opposite. I think that we get to a crisis because people have they've outsourced their identity to social media. Mm. Like I'm gonna, this is who I am. Like, and then you know, then I got the car and I got the house, and I, and, but it's a rented car and it's not. It's my Airbnb house, and these aren't my mm. clothes, and I don't have those girls. And and then we try to live in that, and then there's this consistent incongruency. Our mind knows we're not living congruent, and we feel it emotionally yeah. we'll try and fight it we'll do things to distract ourselves we'll party we'll drink we'll do things right mm-hmm. 
and we fill those spaces with the wrong things. And so I think social media for the younger group is, is a comparison thing that sucks. They're forced to have to show up in a certain way and, and create their identity on social. But then in real life, they're, they're not engaging humans. They're not mm-hmm. that fun. They're not that joyous. They're not that right. They're in their phone trying to find a way to make sure. That, so if you're with them in person, what you think from social is they're happy, giddy, go lucky, but you get around in person and they're in their phone all day long, looking at the photos and taking notes. What should I write? And look at that person. And right. They're not even like that in their real life. And so there's this incongruent. Right. So when they're in, in situations where they have to be human, like in person, human, they're, they're lacking a skill or they're lacking the likes in real life. And so there's this, this, I think a problem that settles in, I could be dead wrong. Could be, but I feel like there's something. No, to I think that. you're spot on with that. I, I feel it. like because I feel like we're trying to manufacture identity versus you know sure. versus that it's already kind of in there, right? It's just trying to uncover and unlock and really identify what those gifts we have are because those are directly correlated to our identity and who we become. Um, I do want to read a quote because as I was talking to you about that, you were looking around at other coaches because you realized this is what you wanted to do, and you were thinking, if I'm accurate in your my assessment of what i read is like you were like why not me why am i i'm watching all these people be successful at coaching right and so what am i doing and it says and it says at that moment this is you talking in that in that context at that moment i realized that i was thinking about it all wrong that the gap between my current situation and my desired outcome wasn't a method or a secret marketing strategy Mm -hmm. that what was missing was within me and by studying the people around you, you said your peers, right? You came to the conclusion that they were just different people. And so their identity was direct alignment with their success. Mm-hmm. So did that force you? Obviously, it forced you inward instead of looking around at what yeah. they were doing. So talk more about that. Unpack that a little. Will you? Yeah. So there's this, this statement I, I coined. I don't know when it was. It could be a year and a half or something ago. And I said, if your identity doesn't match the dream, you don't get to enjoy the dream. Mm-hmm. You don't need to have it because there's certain mm-hmm. things. Identity, if we just go to the core of it, your identity shows up in in the way that you take actions because your identity is who you are when you're not thinking about who you are. Mm-hmm. It's your flow. And that flow creates actions. That action creates your life. And so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't say they're different alien type people, but I did realize that the way that I showed up in situations was vastly different than the way they would show up in different situations. Therefore, mm-hmm. the outcomes would be different. They'd have what they have and I wouldn't have what I wanted. And so I, I was looking to systems and tools and programs and all these different things that would give me the information I needed. And mm-hmm. I think we, we as a society have become addicted to information. It's so prevalent, readily available. It's right there. And we believe that having it right there makes us smart. And it doesn't. It doesn't make us wise. It doesn't make us intelligent. It just makes us have, have By proximity, access. right? By proximity, we're automatically wise. Just because you have a football doesn't mean you're Tom Brady. You know, like you have to... <laughs> You have to learn how to use that thing and throw that thing. And so most people don't get into the actions of it. And I wasn't back then. I was like, I, I'd make good excuses. I would find ways to, you know, dish out the, the, you know, the blamed other people. I would, you know, how dare you get mad at me for this thing? And, and I never, I never stood back and go, okay, what's the difference? Well, what, what really was is I asked this question at one point, what would the person who has everything I want do in this moment right now? And it's, it's a question you ask all the time. Let's say you have a long day. You come home from work. You have a job. You want to get out of the job. You want to have a side hustle. You want to build this business, right? Yep. Well, if you want to have the business where you got to maybe you got to create new things and make new things and call new people. Well, the person who already has your business, when they get home late like that, it's been a long day and they know it's got to get done. What would they do right now? 
Would they pop a TV show on and relax and push it till tomorrow? Or would they do it? And that, that isn't a information thing. It's not a uh, overwhelm. It's a, who are you? Mm. If I am the kind of person that gets that done before I go to sleep, I'm going to get it done every day. No problem. Which means I'm going to get that, that piece of it. That is, that is a who I am. It's an identity thing. I, I, don't even, like, I don't even ask the question. Like if it's, if it's on a docket for me, if it's on my calendar, there's not a question of if I'm going to do it. It's just that's there. That's going to make it done. That's who I am. I don't even question it. So some people go, hey, how do you get all that stuff on your calendar and get it done? How do you not? Right? It's, it's, not, it's not this thing where I'm better. It's just like, that's just who I am. So when I look at identity, I look at the people ahead of me. That was a separation. And that separation is exponential. Because if you show up to a day and you have, let's say, six hours of work to get done, and after two hours, you go kaput, your brain doesn't stay focused, you find ways to get distracted, you don't finish those six hours, well, we get to the next day and that same thing takes place. So at the end of a year where you have two hours, I end up having six hours, what's a third? That means for every one year, I got three on you. Mm. I, 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 you can't mm-hmm. catch. I'm always opening the gap. And mm. that's where a lot of individuals don't realize that is not anything more than an identity thing. Do I show up? Do I believe? Do I push forward? Do I organize? Do I structure? Do I stay focused or not get distracted? Do I have a clear goal? Is it who I am to do this? Because if it's who yeah. you are, you'll do it. If it's not, you won't. Yeah, and I agree. I mean, well said right there. That that whole piece was awesome because it covers so many things. And and I mean, you. it sounds like if it's in your identity and it's ingrained in your DNA, then you aren't giving yourself permission to really have a choice in certain situations. You've already made that because of your identity and who you are, right? And what defines you, like you've already made that ahead of time. You don't give yourself a, a way out, right? On completing, if we're talking about completing tasks or, or the, no the end of the day and you're tired, you haven't mm-hmm. given yourself permission to have a choice out of that because no. of who you are. And I, I love that. It's like the decision yeah. fatigue theory. If, if, if you have to keep making choices, that's why people can't get past two hours. Because on for two hours, like, should I do this? Should I do it? Should I do it? Should I do it? Do I do this? Do I get the workout? Do I write the email? Do I get that book written? Do I make that ask? Do I call that client? That right? Do I do I do I? Well, for me, yeah, it, yeah there's no question. It just gets done. Therefore, I don't ask questions. I'm just I'm just moving. It's already decided. I have the energy to continue to keep moving. Whereas you're drained after two, I can go six or eight. Right? It's just yeah, it's a little different, but it does tie into if it's who you are, there is no choice. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and so as a coach uh, and the people that you work with, you know, if you, if you pull out aspects of coaching just in the athletic realm, like if I've coached my kids baseball teams for years and what made me a good player, I try to sort of pass that on. Right. And I try to let them benefit from my knowledge, but I also can slip into this trying to turn them into something I was right. Instead of their skill set, like, Obviously, you don't do that because you're focused on that particular person and specialized identity with them. You're not trying to make what makes Anthony Trucks good makes them good. So what what about you makes you the right coach or the right leader with the people that you're working with? It's just a matter of if if what my life looks like theirs, they would like theirs to look similar, right? I'm a person that cares about my God, my wife, my kids. I don't talk down about my ball and chain, like a lover. She does awesome. Like I, yeah. I'm, I'm also, I'm also human, right? Like there's, you know, these things people look at, they put me on a pedestal and look at that guy and the pictures and stuff, but I'm just a dude, man. I got slippers on right now. I'm hanging out of my house. Like I'm a regular human. I just have a irregular thing that I do in the world to, and a regular desire to help people. Mm-hmm. And so what I do realize is 
the world that I have my kids going into is not the world that I am in, nor is that the one that I was going into. So if I prepare them the same way that I prepared, I'll do a poor job of preparing them for their world. Mm. But on the flip side and the addition, there are human traits they must have. There's communication skills, integrity, respect, coordination of time, um, you know, working hard, doing your best. Those certain things they have to have to show up in my mind, but they may be expressed in different situations, different environments, different careers. But if you don't have those traits, you can't express them, which means you won't have success because I don't care if you you want to make an app or you want to have a taco truck. Right. Or you want to have a job. Uh, just, you know, doing line work for whatever it is. If you can't be able to be held accountable, have integrity, have honesty, communicate well, you won't be good at any of those jobs, no matter what you do. So you have to have certain human traits. So I do want to instill in them the human traits that that they're not natural and normal to have, but when they get them, it's good. But I'm not going to go and teach them and force them to do things I do by any means. Yeah. And the people, so that let's just like talk about, so some of the people that you work with and do coach, uh, is it, because let's face it, uh, you know, the saying is old dog and new tricks type of thing. So if somebody comes to you with these certain qualities that maybe you feel like need some serious tweaking and refining, do you just reinvent the wheel with that? Or because I would imagine it's hard to build that that DNA in somebody or do you tweak areas where you find that they're strong at i mean it kind of like with the people you work with i mean do you just try to just turn it upside down if it's a if it's a train wreck or do you just kind of work with what you got well there's a couple ways i mean one is is people got what they got because of things they do and you are what you consistently do so if you consistently do other things for whatever reason or however hard you'll get to become the other person the reason that i i use the word shift is it's not identity change Mm. identity change is it's like to change right it's a lot right yeah. A shift is a small tweak. It's a small little you know, incremental adjustment to chosen areas. So, for example, maybe you have things you do at work, things you do at home with your, your kids, and then you have things with your wife or you have some hobbies for health or you want to go and fly airplanes. I don't know what it is. The thing that you do, right, the idea is that you don't have to do anything to, you know, any of them. You can choose one thing. You could choose no things. You could choose all things. The idea is to go, what area of my life do I have this intense desire to improve? Where do I really want to improve? Now, you might find that some things are connected. You might say, hey, I just want to be a better husband when I get home and and play with my kids. Cool. You should probably go work out so you have more energy. There you go. So there's connections, right? But it may not always Mm -hmm. be that case. But the idea is when you look at that, we're making small shifts, man. I'm not saying to give all your mental energy to working out. Give me three hours a day. Go for a walk. Get home. Go for a walk with your kids. Mm -hmm. Talk. Leave your, leave your phone in your pocket. Don't turn that thing on. Put the focus mode on. And now we're killing two birds, one that's stone. That's a two for one. Yeah, that's a two for you know one. What I'm saying? So there's little things you can do. And these are just small shifts. I just adjusted it. Give it a 30 minutes a day. I do it with my son. I go 45-minute walk sometimes. We just go out. It's not hard, but mm-hmm. people don't think about that. They get so ingrained in the motion of what they're doing that they don't put new actions in. I believe action and suffering. The suffering you're expressing in, in some manner of like, I don't, I don't feel present with my kids or my wife or my health. Cool. There's going to be an action that ends that suffering. If not, you're going to continue to feel it. And the action doesn't need to be an overhaul. It just needs to be one small shift. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Because I think we get so overwhelmed with the end result of, you know, the mountain we want to climb instead of that first, that first elevation point where we just take a, 
a step. And, and I think we, we don't count our small wins. Sometimes we, we get overwhelmed with that big one that we feel is unattainable. And then we quit eventually. And I'm just speaking generally, but no, I like that you break that down and just kind of put it, put it into bite-sized chunks for people. Um, I noticed, so you're on the cover of a magazine. Yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> uh, I see that, uh, come out and, that's pretty cool. I mean, you, cool. you can try to be humble all you want, but I mean, like there's some big pe- big names that have been on that and the success magazine. So, but you do kind of, it does kind of tee you up for this question. So here we go. Yeah. Draw a line in the sand for us. If you think there is one and maybe unpack it a little bit, but between success and significance. I mean, yeah, there's a line, but it's, I think it's a gray line because people, you, you can't say that I have success. You, it's hard to have success without having significance, right? Because even if it's just significance to you, you know, or, and, and there needs to be something, because if not, everybody would have it, dollar success, right? But I, I don't know if you need to have six, significance to, sorry, have success to be significant, reverse, right? I got to be significant, yeah. I think, in some manner to have success. I don't know if I need to have success in some manner to be significant. Because if you think about it, someone could be, uh, you know, Mother Teresa. She doesn't have financial success. She wasn't out there, you know, writing books and everything, but she was very significant, Mm. which the significance led to her success in terms of notoriety and people seeing her and impacting people. So it's I think it's great. It's like uh, you you can definitely have, you know, success, but you kind of need to be significant in some manner, in some way, doing something bigger and better. And I think it's obviously going to be based relative on what success means to you. Yeah. And I a hundred percent agree because the exact way you defined that is exactly what I have said before. And that's why I asked the question, but you said it exactly how I was hoping that you would answer that. And, and I believe that the the reason I asked that is not to just create semantics and splitting hairs, but it's Mm -hmm. if, if we, as people, I think to get to this point of the people we're leading, I'm talking to and the people that you're coaching, like, if our intention is more driven in the success direction rather than a significant direction rather than success, then one will happen if we have the other one. Like you said, I think sometimes we chase success because like you said earlier, we're trying to manufacture our identity based on social media, other people's evaluation, you know, our bank account, different things like that. But I think, and I'll take it full circle back to you starting coaching. Like your, your statement was, I figured it out because I have something to offer that's going to help somebody. And so that's where I'm going to go. That's what's going to drive me. It wasn't, I'm going to make the cover of a magazine someday. Mm-hmm. I guess that's my point is you, you had it all lined up accurately and we're chasing significance and then the success follow. I don't even know why I brought that up, but I think it was important because I saw you on that, on the magazine. And I'm thinking, man, that guy, he, he got that, he, he became that, but that probably wasn't what he was chasing or initially, right? Oh, no. You were trying to be a difference maker, yeah. you know, I didn't not for you either. Yeah. I didn't know most of those old awards and accolades existed. Yeah. They, they reach out to me. I'm like, Oh, cool, man. I like that. Thank you. Like it's uh, but no, by say, no means start it that way. Let yourself enjoy that for sure. Because <laughs> if, if you do that, if you start out seeking the success, I think the problem is then you were, you're not going to fully enjoy the journey to get there exactly. because, because your measurement of, of what should make you happy or not is whether or not you've gotten that thing, that arbitrary pie in the sky. And then yeah. every day you go to bed, not having it. You're like, man, I didn't have it today. I didn't get it today. I almost got there. Didn't get it. Didn't get it. And every day sucks. And I yep. it's not amazing. But then yeah. I realized if, if you seek significance, then what happens is you're trying to find ways to, to celebrate the day. 
Mm-hmm. You fall in love with today, the journey, the, the process, the effort. The, I did a good job today. And now I feel good. And then you wake up one day and go, oh, man, I, I, that, that significant seeking created success. Look what, look what Stack in those days did. People are recognizing these things, right? And I think that's kind of the more fun, more enjoyable journey because you spend more time climbing the mountain than at the peak. That's yeah, 100%. Uh, I agree with that 100%. And I do want to ask you too, um, I know you got a busy day, so I want to try to be respectful of your time, but man, you keep you keep on unpacking stuff and just revealing things that I want to get your take on. Um, but you know, this is a faith-based podcast. We talk servant leadership. You're all about servant leadership, clearly, um, because you're making it about other people um, and passing what you're good at down to them, on to them. Um, Man, if we're a body, soul, and spirit, right? We're a, we're beings of three parts, and body, soul, and spirit, um, soul being mind, will, and emotions, and you're you're locked in on that with people. You know their 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 identity shift, and maybe not mindset. I think you draw a line in the sand a little bit there. Not mindset, but a shift in identity, uh, not mindset. But what? And your your body, you know, you definitely take pride in being in shape and and passing that teaching down to folks. Uh, talk about how the, the spiritual side of you either comes out or maybe what kind of weight you give that in your life and direction uh, from that standpoint. I mean, it's always, it's always there. I think it shows up in, in all the decisions that you don't see and you do see, right. There's, you know, things that take place. Like just yesterday I had some things going on with like within my team and things were navigating and, you know, you get, you get emotionally get animated and I, I stop and check and I go, is that emotion the right emotion? What, you know, why am I feeling that? Is it the proper way to pursue the next stage? Should I, should I do or say different things? And then that's not, I don't think that moment where I'm questioning, because my emotion was in a space of, of uh, we'll call it anger. I was, I was angry. I don't know if angry is the word. I was unsettled, called mm-hmm. unsettled. And when I feel those emotions, most of the time we will click over into to reptile brain and we'll live out of that emotion. So the words will come from that place. The actions will come from that place. We may shut down. We may, you know, drink. It'll just, it becomes animalistic and instinctual. And for me, I try not to go there. And I think that is where my spiritual base shows up. I lean in and go, is this the kind of man I want to be remembered as? It may seem like a small moment, but like, this is a spiritual thing for me of like, when I go and have to stand in front of the pearly gates and it's a question of like, do you belong in here? It's, it's, it's going to be a reflection upon these small moments, how these were handled. And that's a spiritual thing. And then I go beyond, and I, I think the area that allows me to, to go to spiritual, I go, I try to get in the mind of the person that I'm mad at. How are they feeling? Why are they saying what they're saying? How do they feel? Because they may say, they may be saying things to be, you know, we'll call it protective of themselves, but they may not actually be angry. So like if like an animal, an animal, if you back it into a corner, it's, it, it may bite you, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean it hates you and wants you to die. It might just be protecting itself. But for me, I just feel the pain of the bite, you know? So some of that, like you have to step back. And I think that's where my spiritual aspect shows up because I separate myself from myself and think from a higher place uh, of what should be the next emotion or next action. Well, that's hard. I mean, that sounds perfect, right? Because in those moments where tensions are high, like talk to somebody right now that may be battling some of that and, and they don't feel like in those moments they have the discernment to kind of take a breath and take a step back. Like, do you have... Is it just innate in you that you're like, okay, I feel my pressure rising. It's time to maybe step back literally, figuratively, like tell somebody how to be better in those moments, like in that split second, because you don't have five minutes to go, hold on guys, let's, 
I'm going to have a huddle with myself here. Um, I don't care. feel like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So talk to that. that. Okay. Yeah, you, there's it. no reason why you can't. I mean, to be honest, if I, if, if you are about to go and do something and you tell your people like, Hey, you know, I need five minutes with this right now and walk away, but as opposed to exploding on them, if you come back and do it differently, they'll appreciate that. They'll understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. It's abnormal because most people don't do it. The, the thing is though, you have to always take a look at, and the single, this like this is another question. I ask myself questions throughout the day. I should write the book of questions, like questions yes, I ask yes. myself, because yes, I yes. do. And I'll, I'll ask myself, Anthony, what will make the next moments of your life better? I didn't ask myself, what do you want to do next? Because what I want to do is usually rooted mm. in that feeling. If I ask the question, what will make the next moment better? I will know what makes the most moment, like next. Maybe it's apologizing to my wife because I was wrong. That'll make it better. I may not want to do it. Mm-hmm. separation there. And so in those heated emotional moments, the idea is to understand that when emotion is high, intelligence is low. And if you speak from that space of emotion, you're going to say things that aren't the ones you want to say, and you can't put them back in the box. And so while we inherently know that that's the awareness piece, people don't understand how to practice that. Mm-hmm. So what they do is they just go all out and they figure, you know, I'll just do this thing. And then later on, I'll fix it. My, my best friend sent me this interesting uh, like metaphor story. This guy has a son. They take him, you know, takes him out to the backyard. Now his son has an anger problem and he throws fits and throws things and gets mad. And then he says, oh, every time you get mad, I'm going to have you go out to the, the fence and I'm going to have you hammer a nail into the fence. And he goes, okay. So he goes and hammers a nail into the fence. You know, he gets mad and he does it again and he gets mad and he does it again. And he's like, after a while, he's got a whole bunch of nails in there. And he goes, hey, every time you do something nice, I want you to go ahead and, and pull a nail out. So it's a back and forth. There's some, you know, days where it's more nails going in than going out. And so eventually he's, he's got to the point where he's doing good things and he pulls it out and he goes, dad, I'm good. And he goes, yeah, but let's go out to the fence and take a look. Mm-hmm. Looks at the fence. He says, you see all those, those holes in the, in the fence? Yeah. He says, well, you know, you did apologize and take it out. Every one of those hard moments leaves an irreversible mark. Mm. Yep. So Whenever you, you, you don't think about the fact that like, I'll just, I'm just emotional. I just do that when I get angry. It's not okay. You're damaging relationships. You're damaging yourself, your career, your clientele, your name, your brand, right? You're damaging things by operating that space. The idea is to not hammer any nails in in the first place yeah. or, or only do it if you really need to, right? Yeah. So you have less of those enduring marks. And so yeah. when people are in those heated moments, they need to realize you got to handle that now. And yeah. actually ward off, ward off saying that crazy, crappy thing, as opposed mm-hmm. to just thinking, it's okay, I'm in an emotional state. No, it's not. That's actually yeah. not healthy. And if you, if you are cognitive aware, like cognitively aware of it and know what's going on, you can't let the emotion win because the emotion isn't, it's not usually there to serve the relationship. It's there to serve you. Yeah. And, and like you said, it creates, a lot of times it creates irreversible damage and, uh, or at least the damage that won't get that particular thing back to its original state. It might be bandaged up, but it's going to be scarred. So I, I agree with that hundred percent. I've, I've lived, you know, both sides of that and, uh, yeah, me I too, can, man. I can, yeah, I'm living proof. So, um, yeah. man, um, aside from identity, what, what do you think, in the people that you're working with, let's just speak from, from those. And, and aside from identity, what would you say is kind of creating the biggest separation between who we are today mm-hmm. and who we're supposed to be or who we were designed to be? I 100% know the answer to this. It's my answer. It may not be everybody's answer, but I believe it's, it's limited capacity, constraining capacity. 
If you think about uh, the goals we have, the goals we have are going to take new information coming in, new conversations, new effort, new work. And it doesn't, doesn't mean that work and things we're doing now disappear so we can work on this. It simply means it's being added to the plate we already have of stuff to do. And what most people do is say, how can I find a way to fit more on this plate, right? It, the issue is not the stuff on the plate. The issue is you need a bigger plate. Mm-hmm. You get a bigger plate, it'll fit. And so what, what happens for me is, is I look at individuals in life and I go, who are the people that I aspire to be like in some manner? You know, I want to kind of be in their world. And I said, man, they, I look at their schedule, what they do, and they're like, they, they got their work in the, you know, in the morning, they got their workouts, and then they come back from that. They have this meeting, they have this call, they create this thing, and then they switch gears and they're in a conversation about one business. They come back to the other business. Their wife wants to go to lunch. They go to lunch. They come back. They hang out, do some more podcasts. They go get their kids. They're from the kids, they come home. They do some family stuff, fix things in the backyard, like all these things. And you go, how do you get that done? Like, how is that? And it's not that they have special bones in their body or just special segments of their brain. They just, they developed this skill of what I call expanding on demand, not when crap hits the fan. Mm. It's, it's a purposeful expansion of my capacity to handle what I want to receive or sustain. Because if you don't have the capacity, you will, not, you will not receive that thing. And if you do receive it, you won't be able to sustain it. It'll go, it'll go out of your life quick, right? So I people who don't who win the lottery, I think a lot of them lose the money because they don't have the capacity to sustain it. Right. So like they get it, it goes away. It's like, well, how did that happen? Right. Or some people, they don't have the capacity to do the things that make the money that even if it's not even a rather like information going in, because a lot of people buy courses, books and programs and never read them. They get shelf esteem. I buy it. It goes in the shelf. Oh, I feel good. Right. Sometimes it's the capacity to actually apply that handle the embarrassment, the pain, the failure handle the ability to, to focus on this thing and then switch gears and immediately go into a new thing. Like me and you were here talking in exactly 10 minutes or less, I'm in a coaching call with a client and I'm in a whole new gear yep. from there on a whole new coaching call. And then another coaching call. And then I seriously throw my shoes on and I hit the road with my daughter to go to a, tra- a swim meet in, t- in Arizona. Yep. So these, this ability to do this, people go, and how do you switch gears so quick? I just developed the skill of the capacity to handle it all. I'm yep. not special. I just spent yep. the time there. So if you want to talk about like outside of identity, mm-hmm more tactical, tangible, it's do you have the capacity to receive or sustain what you want in the first place? That's real good. That's real good. Hadn't heard, heard it put like that really before, but that's, that's perfect. Um, so before I let you go, I want to do an exercise that I've been doing with folks um, in this series of coaching up. And it's because in the world that I've lived in for the last 15 years, medical sales, we did this deal. We evaluate our coaches and or evaluate our leaders. They leave the room and we do what's called the start, stop, continue. So I'm going to have you do start, stop, continue on Anthony trucks. I'm going to ask you. So as a father, uh, you know, a husband, uh, an entrepreneur, whatever, we're going to ask you, what do you want to start doing? What do you want to stop doing? Mm -hmm. And what do you want to continue doing? All right. So I'm going to start. So I, I do a bunch of different training. My whole family does track and outside of me. My wife does actual collegiate track. She's 38 and does, does track at college because she didn't do it when she was in college. She's doing it again now. Oh, my. Uh, my daughter does swim and track. My other son does flag football and track. My other son just does track. The oldest He's going to college next year, hopefully to run track. Mm-hmm. I don't do anything besides workout and lift weights. So I'm going to start getting myself back into a shape that is going to be good for for master's track. 
I can go and lift weights, run around, do some sprints, right? Like on the football field. But I, I am in the process of pretty much vetting a trainer who can create a program that not only like helps me rehab my body, but also gets me into a shape that's like football is shaped strength wise mm-hmm. and aesthetic like, because I want to look good, let's be honest. And then I want yeah. to be able to have that be something where I can move. I want to be able to move for a long time. I'm good right now, but I want to be good for a long time. Gotcha. Uh, stop doing. I want to, uh, I want to, I want to stop doing. Uh, you know what? I want to, st- I want to stop trying to be, uh, I want to stop ex- trying to help everybody with the things I'm good at. There are, there are a lot of things I'm good at doing. I'm a very handy human. Uh, I do well with odd relationship stuff. I coach people in business stuff. Uh, I can, I used to own a gym so I can train people, but like, I need to stop trying to do a lot of these things. Cause I think what happens is it draws from me, the ability to be great in other stuff. Mm. I could be good at this, but it draws from my ability to be absolutely great in something. So that's what that's I would good. stop. It's not a crazy thing. And I don't, I've actually done a good job, but I find myself needing to remove more. Uh, what's the last one? Start, stop, what? Continue. Continue doing. What are I you wanna, really good at? And what do you want to keep doing? I'm really good at having harmony in life. I call it hustle harmony. Hmm. I got a really beautiful harmony between my work, my health, my faith, my marriage, and my parenting. Mm-hmm. And, and I love to hustle and work, man. I love creating, developing, speaking, coach. I love doing that. But I can't, that little hustle monster, I call it, I can't let that starve the rest of the parts of my life. I can't let mm-hmm. it starve my marriage, starve my parenting, starve my health, starve mm-hmm. my hobbies. And so for me, I, I've done a really phenomenal job of creating a good system to how I run my life to where I can keep everything in a beautiful harmony. It's not balance. Sometimes you'll have, you know, a little bit more of the harmony heavy on the work and some's mm-hmm. a little more heavy on the, on the family, but overall it all keeps a beautiful harmony. So I don't have a wife that's bothered that I'm working. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. go to work. I'm not here with you feeling guilty because I'm not serving my kids or my wife and vice versa. So there's that area where I will continue to keep doing that. That's actually when people ask like, what do I coach? And I, I keep feeling, to make shift happen. That's how you make shift happen by having the success in business and systems running and everything moving to where you have this freedom producing career, but also at the same time, you have this amazing family background. So I, I coach all of it together. So it's not mm-hmm. just, I'm going to coach you on how to get leads in your business to make more money. Cause you could do that, but then you may have a wife who's like, yeah, you got money, but I don't want to be with you. So go spend it with somebody else, you know, like, mm-hmm. yeah, so you got to find that, that harmony. That's good, man. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Cause you've created that capacity, what we talked about earlier and you've created processes and systems that allow that rhythm to sort of beat on its own and, and definitely pivot in certain places. But all right, yeah. man, tell us where to go to get your resources. Tell us about your podcasts and your yeah. book and, and uh, where to find you. Yeah. The awe shift podcast, a W W shift.com. We'll take you to the awe shift podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can find anywhere else you go look at. It's just, yeah. it's called the, it's only one even remotely close to it. And yeah. uh, if you want to find out more about me, go to Anthony trucks on Instagram. And if you want uh, a daily podcast, I do called the shift starter daily. If you go, if you'd go to the website, textanthony.com and just send me the word SSD, just SSD mm-hmm. at textanthony.com, you get subscribed. And I just send a daily podcast out with some weird thoughts of mine for seven minutes. That's so good, man. And and your website, you can get your book on the website. Um, there's definite 
uh, alerts that pop up to get that book. So run out and grab the book called Identity Shift. Anthony yep. Trucks, man, I appreciate it so much. I, I'm glad we got connected. I thank you for being gracious enough to carve out a little bit of margin to get on here with us. Uh, it's been a it's been a blessing for uh, for me and the audience. So with that, he's been Anthony Trucks. We've been last in line. Be blessed.